1 through 8. What then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one who, to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. Would you all pray with me? Lord God, we come to you once again. We ask that uh, in this moment here, as we have read your word and now the word will be preached to your people, we ask that you give us a, um, a spirit of attention, a spirit of clarity, um, that your spirit would work in our hearts, uh, reviving them uh, once again uh, to love your word, to love uh, what you have done. Your word reveals who you are to us. And so we thank you for your word. We also pray that uh, your servant, Pastor Greg would uh, preach boldly and powerfully, and uh, we do all of this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. So Paul is hammering home this fact, right, that we are made right by God's grace through faith in Christ alone. And he's, he's making this point all through Romans, of course, and there's absolutely no grounds, therefore, for boasting on our part, especially that, that's what he said last week, as we saw in Romans 3, 27 through 28. Let's take a look at that just for uh, by way of review. He says, then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. So he's telling them this and he's telling them this, right? And, and that is good. But Samuel Johnson, the great English writer, once said, example is always more efficacious than precept. So we can tell, 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 but sometimes it's good to give examples, right? And that's what Paul's going to do here in chapter 4. He goes to the Old Testament and pulls up an example of one who is justified by faith apart from any of his works or deeds or his own righteousness. So look at verse 1 here of chapter 4. He says, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So as, as we see here, as a former Pharisee, Paul knew that the Jewish people, they put Abraham on a pedestal. I mean, he was lifted up very high, idolized almost to the point of sacrilege, um, there's some books that were written that are not canonical uh, that we have from different Jewish rabbis. And one of those books is the Book of Jubilees, written in 100 B.C. Listen to this as, as uh, they speak of Abraham in this book. It says, Abraham was perfect in all his deeds with the Lord and well-pleasing in righteousness all the days of his life. It's a very glowing report of, of him. And you say it almost sounds like they thought he was sinless. They did. Uh, in the prayer of Manasseh, which is part of the Apocrypha, which is a non-canonical book, 
but it's in many um, Catholic Bibles and also the, the King James Version actually has this version of this prayer of Manasseh, which is recorded in the Apocrypha. But, but notice what it says. Thou therefore, O Lord, that art the God of the just, hast not appointed repentance to the just, such as Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, which have not sinned against thee. What? Literally says, Lord, we know that Abraham has not sinned against you, so you've not given him repentance. He didn't need to repent because he was sinless. <laughs> that's what it says. By the way, that's why the Apocrypha is not part of the Bible. It contradicts everything, obviously, that Paul's been, been saying here for weeks. And, and so, so Paul knew, though, that this is how people viewed Abraham, Father Abraham. He was literally sinless in the sight of many people. And, and so the idea was, man, if, if I can just be more like him. This was the idea of Judaism and most religions that, that are based on this idea of my righteousness is going to earn me something with God. And so they say, man, if I can just be more like Abraham, if I can just be more like so-and-so, then man, that, that's what I need to do, right? I need to put on the good works, right? And then earn some favor with God and I'll be in heaven one day. Notice what verse 2 says. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. We stop there, and it's true. It is true. If Abraham was justified by his works, then he could brag. And this is exactly what we do with each other, right? We boast in our righteousness, comparing ourselves to other people's righteousness. And if, if, if you're talking about doing that, if we're talking about comparing the righteousness of one human being with another, then Abraham probably wins most of those battles, right? <laughs> if we're looking at, at us comparing ourselves to, to some of the apostles or some of the, the, the others, we think, wow, these people are just amazing. I, I, I'm not that, but, I, but I'm better than that guy. And we look at somebody else and say, man, I am, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a saint compared to this person. We can always find somebody worse than us. And that's why we as humans like to build ourselves up and make ourselves feel self-assured by comparing ourselves to somebody who's not as, quote, good as, as we are. And, and so, again, we understand that we can do that. We can brag about our righteousness with each other, with other human beings. It, 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 it's just a natural thing that we do. But notice the end of verse 2. For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So we can boast before each other, but none of us can boast before God. And that's where we must appear perfect. That's the one we must appear perfect to. It's not about each other, not about pleasing each other and looking good for each other. We must appear perfect in the sight of a holy God if we will spend eternity in heaven. Now where's our boasting? I mean, this is, this is, this, this idea, I love how Paul just jerks the rug out from underneath these guys, right? They're sitting there arguing, well, I'm, I'm pretty good compared to this. I want to be like Abraham. I want to be like so-and-so. And we're comparing ourselves to other humans Paul jerks the rug out from under that and, and tells them basically, guys, what you're, do what you're doing is like two ants standing on the sidewalk arguing about which one's taller until a human squishes them in mid-stride walking by. I mean, there's no comparison, right? And this is exactly what it is for human beings to try to somehow brag about their righteousness. We can do that all right with each other. But when God enters the equation, we are dwarfed by his holiness and magnitude and righteousness. There is no comparison. And so every mouth is shut, Paul says. 
by the holiness of God's perfect law and his righteousness. Look at this. I love what he says next. Verse 3, and this is where we should all live, right, with our questions about God and righteousness and what's this and what makes you holy. Here's where the answer is, verse 3. For what does the scripture say? <laughs> For what does the scripture say? Wow, we'd be so much better off if more Christians knew what the scriptures say. Most of our questions arise because we have no clue what the Bible says. We're basing our spirituality on urban legends for the most part, things we hear in society, what other Christians tell us, or what, what we feel in our heart should be right, and we begin to build some theology on that. Folks, we must know what the scriptures say. If we do, it's going to answer a lot of our questions. It's going to answer all of the questions as far as faith and righteousness and how do I live before God and, and all of these things. So Paul, Paul says, guys, let's, let's see what the scriptures say. And now he takes them back to Abraham. He says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So there it is, he's saying. You guys are worshiping Abraham like he was keeping the law perfectly, like he was sinless. And that, that, and that that's why God accepts him based on his own law keeping and righteousness? Are you kidding me? No. The Bible says, he says, the Old Testament tells us that's not the case. The Old Testament tells us Abraham believed God and that was counted to him as righteousness. That's why he was made righteous. His faith in God, not his law keeping or his good deeds. Genesis 15, 6 is what's being quoted here by Paul. We'll read that just for context. It says in Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, and Abraham believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. So what did Abraham believe when it says Abraham believed the Lord? What's that mean? Well, he believed the promises that through him, God was going to bring a seed. Through, through his seed, God was going to bring a Messiah that would bless all the people of the world. All nations of the world will be blessed through your seed. Now, that was a lot to believe, just the very question, hey, Abraham, you're going to have a, a child. That, that was a big one. He was pretty old. So there was a natural miracle that had to take place here, a supernatural miracle that had to take place. But beyond that, to believe not just the promise that God says you and Sarah, who are well up in years, are going to have a child beyond all human understanding, and not just that, but that child's seed is going to be multiplied as the stars of the heaven and the sands of the earth. And every nation on earth will be blessed as the, as the one who comes from your genealogies, from your, from your very seed. The Messiah. And Abraham, did, now, now that's our question, right? What did Abraham believe here that God counted him as faith? Did God make Abraham righteous because he believed that he could somehow uh, give them supernaturally a child in their 90s? And just that miracle and believing that could be possible? Is that it? I think Abraham believed a whole lot more. I think Abraham believed the whole concept of what was the gospel, folks. This is the gospel being preached in the Old Testament. The promise of a savior delivering from sin all nations all those who believe on him so what did what did abraham believe he believed 
ultimately in the Messiah that was promised. That's what he's believing. I believe, I believe, God, that you are going to provide a Messiah. And by faith, I trust in him, not myself. And God says, by that faith, in that Messiah, you are made righteous. How much did he understand? I think it's interesting because I think Jesus clarifies it for us in John chapter 8, verse 56. Okay, the religious leaders are telling them how great Abraham is. Uh, Jesus is saying, hey guys, you're talking a lot about Abraham. Just let me tell you that before Abraham existed, I I am, I was, I I, I existed. I predate Abraham. Oh, how can that be? How can that be? And and they're like, oh, Abraham's the greatest. And he's, what do you mean you're you're greater than Abraham? He's the greatest. And then look how Jesus answers them. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw, he saw it and was glad. Jesus verifies the faith of Abraham, saying that his faith was in Christ. Jesus tells us what Abraham's faith was. He saw my day. He looked forward by faith, believing that I would one day come. He saw me and he was glad. And you guys are so blind. I'm standing before you doing the miracles and the work of my father and you still can't see me. Isn't that glorious? So how did he see it? By faith. By faith. And Paul makes this connection clear in Galatians chapter 3 verses 5 through 8. Look at this. Paul says, again, who's he writing to there in Galatians? He's talking to people who think we've got to be like Abraham, right? Um, Gentiles who are coming into the faith, but some Jews are telling them, you've got to be, you've got to do all these good, righteous deeds. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep this law. You've got to keep that law. So, so Paul's addressing that. And in verse five, he says, does, does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God, And it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. Now look at this. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. The scriptures being the Old Testament. Paul knows what he's saying. He's talking about the Old Testament here when he says the word scripture. So the Old Testament foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. Preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham. What was that gospel? In you shall all the nations be blessed. So Paul verifies the fact that Abraham understood that he was hearing the good news of the gospel, that Jesus Christ is coming. Now, Abraham may not have known the name of Jesus at that point. He may not have understood everything Jesus would do, but he believed in him as the only source of righteousness by faith he believed that that messiah was the only one who could merit his salvation christ's work not his own and and, and i I just think it's so important that we understand there are not there's not two gospels there's not two means of salvation one in the old testament and one in the new testament There's a continuity between the Old and New Testament because there's one gospel in both. John Stott puts it like this. Paul wants Jewish Christians to grasp 
that his gospel of justification by faith is no novelty, having been proclaimed beforehand in the Old Testament. And he wants Gentile Christians to appreciate the rich spiritual heritage they have entered by faith in Jesus in continuity with the Old Testament people of God. So I think this is so important for us to realize. We who today in 2022 are putting our faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, that faith that saves us by God's grace is the same faith that Abraham was exercising in Christ way back yonder. That's, that, it's, it's, the, it's the same. So really, it answers this question. People ask this all the time. How were people in the Old Testament saved as versus people in the New Testament? Like right now, us. Were they saved differently? And the answer is they were saved the same way. The only difference is in time. What were they looking to? What, which, what direction were they, were they looking and those Old Testament saints were looking to Christ. They were looking forward to Christ. We, quote, New Testament saints, are looking backwards toward Christ, but we're both looking to the cross by faith, trusting that this is God's means of righteousness for us. It's, it's a gift cannot be earned, cannot be merited. And that's what Paul's laying out here. So, so, so then he moves to the glorious, and here's, what, here's where we are now. Verses 4 and 5, this is glorious. Look what he says. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. We understand that. You go to work, you work all week, you get a paycheck. And then you're happy. But you don't all of a sudden get on the phone, call your boss and say, I just want to thank you so much. I just got the check deposited in my account. Thank you so much. That is so exciting that you would give me that check. No, you don't do that because you earned it. And probably many of you thinking a whole lot more, but you didn't get it. <laughs> but you're not thanking, you're not writing a letter to say, oh, thank you so much for the check. No, because you worked, right? That's your wages. You earned it. So Paul's making this clear, folks. If we earned our salvation, we don't have to thank God for a thing. If our works are a part of this at all, we don't thank God. We are not relying on him. We don't sing, how great thou art. We sing, how great I am. How great I am. That's what we would sing. But look what he goes on to say. And to the one who does not work, here's the comparison. The one who works, earns things, that's one thing. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. So plain, Paul. Paul is so plain here. We are not counted righteous by a holy God by anything we do. Matter of fact, he makes it so plain. He says it's, it's the one who does not work. He doesn't do anything. But he has faith. He believes in him who justifies the ungodly. And that's counted as righteousness. There's our, there's our theme, folks. This is the hymn of the ages. You know, we, we sang that song. And the hymn of the ages for the believer saved by grace is God 
justifies the ungodly. That's all we can mumble. We walk around mumbling, amazed at his grace. God justifies the ungodly. Do, you, do we hear this? The holy, perfect God of the universe justifies not the righteous, not the good, not the one who does works of law-keeping, but the one who is ungodly and does nothing. God justifies them when by faith they believe in his promise. What? It's a hard message, really. At the surface, we all talk about this a lot as Christians. Oh, God's grace is good, and God says, you know, come just as I am, and all that. We, we say this stuff. I don't think it really sinks in, though. And even though we hear it, I think down deep, we hate it. Get, get this in our minds today. Humans do not grasp the message of grace well. Flannery O'Connor, the American novelist, said this. She said, making grace believable to the contemporary reader is the almost insurmountable problem of the novelist who writes from the standpoint of Christian orthodoxy. Trying to get any reader to, to understand Genuine grace. It's impossible. You say, well, I don't know. Let me give you two scenarios just to see where we're at on this and see if we re really understand what Paul's saying here. You've got a missionary. She spends her entire life serving in a slum in a poor country, feeding the poor, ministering to the sick, and the dying, and the, and, the, and the orphans, and she's dealing with everybody, giving her life tirelessly to these people. Years and years, faithful service, going without so that others can have. All for God, in the name of God, as a missionary nurse. And as, as she nears her death, someone asks, why, why will God allow you into heaven? And she says, well, because I've denied myself for decades. I've Lived my life devoted to serving others. And I, and I just hope that I've added enough good merit and good works to my life that when God sees me, he'll say, yep, that's, that's good. Come on in. And he'll accept me. She dies and faces God's eternal wrath in hell, separated from God, because she did not put her faith in Christ and him alone, but trusted her own righteousness. Now here's the second part of this scenario. A serial killer on death row who tortured, raped, and brutally killed multiple people. A chaplain visits this man, discovers that he's been reading a Bible, and the man is extremely broken about a sin. He fears death, which is imminent, and realizes that he will face God's judgment for eternity and deserves that, understands that, is broken about his sin, and yet fearful. The chaplain points him 
to the cross. The chaplain tells him and shows him that the Bible says Christ took that punishment in his body. And if by faith you, the ungodly, will believe that Christ died for the ungodly and will simply rest in his perfection, in his work for you, he will count you as righteous. So the man does, by faith, believes that God died for the ungodly. He goes to the electric chair with peace and he spends eternity in heaven. Now that's, that, that story, how does that sound? These two analogies, it sounds crazy. Not fair. That's one thing that would come up in our human hearts. Not fair. That, that little old missionary lady, she deserved to go to heaven. <laughs> that serial killer, he deserved to burn in hell. Right? And again, if that's our gut response then we do not understand the book of Romans and what Paul is talking about. We do not understand that God counts the ungodly as righteous when they but believe his promise. That, we don't get it then. And, it's, it, and I understand it. it it's hard. I had a family friend growing up, um, and uh, a friend of our family. I called her Aunt Marion. She was a friend of my mother's. They actually owned a, they were part of the Schilling family. You may not remember all this. They, they owned a nightclub around here called Beverly Hills that burnt down many years ago. So they were, she was part of that family. One of those brothers, she, I can't remember all of it. But anyway, she's my Aunt Marion, is all I knew. She had come to see my mom in the hospital when my mom was having surgery. And I was probably about 15, a new Christian, all excited about sharing the gospel. So I, I, she was going out, out to, uh, from the, the uh, waiting room downstairs, I think, to take a smoke break or something. And I said, well, I'll, I'll go with you. So I walked down, and I, I'm not to smoke, but I just went with her. But I, <laughs> but I wanted to share the gospel with her. So I did. I just went down there, and man, in my, my clumsiness and... You know, I'm just crazy this way. Just, hey, let me, uh, Aunt Marion, you know, wealthy, uh, uh, well-known, whatever. Hey, let me tell you about Jesus and, and, and how to go to heaven. And so I explained the whole gospel. I just said, this is it. Jesus died for us. He paid the price. And if we just trust him, we'll be saved. And, and she says, no, 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 no. No, I'm not doing that. She says, I have never taken anything for free. I bought everything I've ever had. I've earned everything I've ever had. And I'll do the same. I'll do the same with this. Now, again, that's our, that's our nature, folks. That's why all this sounds strange to us when we say, wait a minute, the, 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 the scumbag rotting in prison, waiting to go to the electric chair, rightfully so, can simply believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and really be saved? And this person who gave their life serving the Lord in his name goes to hell? What? is this. This is exactly what Jesus taught. That's what this is. This is what Jesus taught. 
Let me show you the examples. Matthew 7, 21 through 23. We see the missionary woman that we mentioned in this story. What does Jesus say that day in verse 21? He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And he would say, well, she was doing the will of God, right? Doing, working, that's the will of God, is it? Not according to the rest of this context. Goes on to say, on that day, Many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? That's preach. And cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name. And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Calls it works of lawlessness. Now we would think that's works of the will of God, right? feeding the poor and preaching and casting out demons and doing many mighty works in your name. And yet he says they're works of lawlessness. What made them works of lawlessness? Because they were works dependent on our flesh, depending on ourselves. Those people never surrendered their righteousness emptied their hands of their own good deeds and clung to the only deeds that matter, the perfect works of Christ. You say, what about the other guy on death row? Death row convict. We have one of those in the Bible? Yeah. Luke 23, verses 39 through 43, we see three people on a cross. We see Christ in the middle and what was on either side? Criminals, right? Notice this conversation. One of the criminals who were hanged railed against him, saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. And he wasn't saying save us by faith here. He was mocking. He literally was saying, you can't even save us. You can't even save us. You say you're the Savior. Get out of my face. That's what this guy's saying to Christ. He's literally just saying, forget you. But the other rebuked him, saying, do you not fear God? since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, we deserve this, for, for, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. That's not fair. All these people in Matthew chapter 7 that did mighty good works and did them all in the name of Jesus are separated from Christ into eternal damnation. But this stinking, lousy, God, godless criminal at the very last minute in his electric chair on, the, on, on that form of execution looks to Jesus by faith and believes that he's the Messiah and says, save me. And he's saved? That is not fair. To which every one of us should shout, hallelujah, amen. Do you want the justice of God? Do you want him to be fair with you according to your works? 
your heart, your motives, the darkness deep inside of you? You want him to be fair based on that? No, we, we do not. We want to rejoice in the verses that we're reading that says God justifies the ungodly, not the godly. We are now rejoicing, and, and Paul's helping us understand what Jesus said when he said, I didn't come to heal those who are well. I came for the sick. I didn't come to save the righteous, but the broken, the lost, the sinners, the ungodly. Rejoice. We must rejoice because God saves the ungodly. Verses 5 through 8, Paul concludes here by taking us to another Old Testament saint that we know, David. So he's bringing up these, these examples from the Old Testament to show that, no, it's God's grace that saves us through faith, not our works, not our goodness. He saves the ungodly. So notice what verse 5 says. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessings of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Whew. Let's take a minute and talk about David here. This is the David who saw a woman taking a bath on a roof across the way, lusted after her, called for her, and committed adultery with her, and then had her husband murdered to cover that up. That's the David we're talking about here. Real godly guy, right? Yeah, it's just like Abraham, man. His sins are listed too. I mean, this is our problem as humans. We idolize people. Oh, if I can just be like this and this. Folks, we are all ungodly is what Paul is trying to show us here. But look what David could say. Because again, look at the context Paul's putting David. Paul's putting David in the same context. God justifies the ungodly. He's saying David is ungodly. <laughs> he wasn't, he didn't deserve this. And yet David understood to put his faith in the Messiah, not himself. And look what it says. David says, we can rejoice. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. We do rejoice, folks. This is why those who are genuinely converted are not proud, we are not arrogant, but we are grateful and we rejoice in the grace of God. Hmm. Someone would say, he doesn't count our sins against us. This doesn't mean that the judgment we deserved did not come forth. It doesn't mean that God's judgment against our sin was just overlooked. What we believe, when we believe on Jesus as our Savior, is that my judgment that I rightly deserve for breaking God's laws was executed. And poured out, but it was poured out on Christ, who became my sin. The penalty was paid by Christ. That's why we must put our faith in Christ, not us. And that's why all those who by faith, the ungodly who by faith believe in his perfect work and law keeping and his perfect death 
and atonement are counted righteous by God. It's the only way, you, if you want to be righteous, you have to do it by Christ's righteousness, not your own. Spurgeon said this. We'll close with this. I love, I love it. He says, I have heard that men that hate the doctrines of the cross bring it as a charge against God that he saves wicked men and receives to himself the vilest of the vile. See how this scripture accepts the charge and plainly states it. So, amen. You thought, did you not, that salvation was for the good, that God's grace was for the pure and holy who are free from sin. It has fallen into your mind that if you were excellent, then God would reward you. And you have thought that because you are not worthy, therefore, here could, uh, there, there could be no way of your enjoying his favor. You must be somewhat surprised to read this text. Him that justifieth the ungodly. I do not wonder that you are surprised. For with all my familiarity with the grace of God, I never cease to wonder at it. And may we never cease to wonder at God's grace. Let's pray. Father, we are stunned, if we're honest, when we are put face to face with the truth of what genuine repentance and faith in Christ is. It strips us of any boasting because it strips us of any contribution. It leaves us, first and foremost, in the mire of sin. We are nothing but wretches. We have not contributed. We are not at all holy. We are the opposite. We are ungodly. But Father, in your grace, you sent Christ to keep the law that we break and to take the punishment that we deserve. And then you tell us if we will simply, by faith, believe that that has happened for us, you count his righteousness to our account. Father, we don't understand it, but give us faith to believe it today. Let someone here who is tired and weary of trying to be righteous to earn your favor, let them lay down that load, turn from their good works, and run to Jesus Christ and fall upon his sustaining grace. All for your glory. We pray these things in Christ's name.